Well, good morning, church. Are you glad to be here today? I mean, are you real happy to be in the house of God? Good, good, good. We are excited about our baptisms next week, and if you're one of the people that want to be signed up, do that in the guest services, uh, at the guest services following the service, so you can also do it online as well. Maybe you're somebody that uh, you've never been baptized. Let us have the honor to baptize you in this new season of your life. Maybe you've, maybe you've been baptized before. We want to encourage you that you can be rebaptized. We believe in that, that if you're one of the people that say, you know, I'm in a new season in life, I would like to be rebaptized. We would love to, to help you with that. So if you have any questions, see us at the guest services today. Well, happy Thanksgiving week. Yeah, we're going to get to eat. Going to get to eat. That's why I moved down here, just so we can eat. I heard a joke uh, that Pastor Ron said I could tell. What, <laughs> what does Miley Cyrus have for Thanksgiving? Twerky. I'm sorry. I know it wasn't right. I know it wasn't right. That was Pastor Ronald. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this week, many of us We'll be gathering around the table of uh, friends and family and enjoying a meal. And, and I want to preach today about the table. The sermon title today is Under the Table. Everybody say, Under the Table. Second Samuel, chapter number nine, verses one through three says this, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Will you say one more time under the table? Today I want to discuss four things to remember from 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that what you're going to do in this house and what's going to be spoken in the next few moments. And whoever's watching online, whoever's in this room, this service and next service, we pray that your word does something supernatural and they'll be changed forever by the, by the spoken word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It is important to understand that when you read a text, to understand the context. When you read this story, you must understand that it was customary in the days of a new king to completely eliminate or to massacre anyone connected, whether it be a family member or a friend, connected to the previous dynasty. David went against the, the principle of revenge and against the precedent of self-preservation and asked what he could do for the family of the previous king who coincidentally was his enemy. You have to understand that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Samuel, uh, King David, who wasn't king at the time, made a covenant 
with Saul's son, Jonathan, that they were going to be friends. They were going to stay true to that covenant. So when you are in this story and you see, he says, there's somebody I need to be good to the family, even though technically, if you read it, they weren't necessarily always good to David. David said, I want to be good to this family. So what he says, is there anybody left in the lineage of Saul? And here's where the story gets interesting. They said, there's a guy, but he's lame in both feet. Notice that he didn't even know his name, but he knew his issue. The first thing I want you to remember today is remember people will often identify others by their issues. The oftentimes we're known for the divorce or we're known for the addiction or we're known for the jail time. And I think it's not fair to, to always be identified by what disqualifies you. That, that's the church should be the last place that when people come in, their past should be brought up. Can I get an amen? We oftentimes, if we're not careful, give ourselves a whole lot of leash for our past and our failures and our mistakes and our shortcomings. But for everybody else, we're willing to put their head on the chopping block and remember them by their issue, what they did wrong, where they did it, who they did it with, their sins of their past. When I preached last week, I'll just remind you again, how can we hold someone accountable or hold someone to a standard that even God himself has forgiven us of, how can we hold it against them? They remembered him. They said, he's, we, he's alive, but he's lame in both feet. What happened to this nameless man? What happened in this story to, to, to this, for this person to be lame in both feet? You go back just a few chapters, you find in 2 Samuel chapter 4, in just a few verses, you find in verse four, the story, and it says this, that Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul, who was king, and Jonathan, who would have been the predecessor, had, come, had been killed in battle. The nurse who knew that the son, this child, would have been next, when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled, and as she hurried, she dropped him, and he became crippled. Here's the second thing I want you to remember, is that life can be unexpectedly crippling. What I find interesting about this particular text, and it can't be for everybody, but I think there are some people that will relate to this, that Mephibosheth, who when we find him in chapter nine, doesn't have a name. We find in verse or chapter four that he is named, but King David and Ziba don't know his name. What we know about this man who's considered nameless in chapter nine, that he was crippled because of the mishandling of somebody else. It wasn't even his own choice. He was five years old. It wasn't even in his own power. He didn't get to choose his story. Let me ask you a question. Has somebody ever mishandled you to where you are here today and you may be in the room, but you're spiritually handicapped? 
because of somebody else somewhere mishandled you. There are people's faith today that is damaged because of a leader who mishandled them and told them certain things in a sermon or certain things on a, in a sideline of a game. Or somebody said something and you were dropped. Could be a friend or a parent. Has somebody's failure to hold you hurt you? His ailment was not the result of his own doing. And some of the pain that you're enduring today may have been unintentional by others. You could be thinking today that if they just had stronger hands, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. You could be thinking today that if I just had a better childhood, if my mother was a better mother, if she knew how to really care for me, if my father was really there for me, I wouldn't be in the condition that I'm in. I wouldn't be in the place that I'm, that I'm in. There are many people in this room that are crippled because of something someone else did. Someone else, I spoke on it last week, but you would be amazed if you can go through this room and you would find people who have been molested, people that have been raped, people that have been verbally abused, people that have been robbed, people that have been mistreated, and it wasn't even their own choice. They didn't invite that. It was not, it was not anything in their story that they were saying, come, I want to be a victim. Come, I want to be dropped. Come, I want to go through a divorce. Come, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be cheated on. And so here's the problem. Many of us today are trying to get in a new relationship, but we're crippled from the last relationship. And we're trying to figure out how to be married to a new man when you're still broken from the last man. Every time he does that, it scares me. But I like it. I like it. Let me hear from you one more time. Mom? Only one syllable. Mom. I like it though. One more time. One more time. He left. He quit. Where'd you go? Who did it? Do it one more time for me. There it is. There are many people's faith in the chair. There are many homes that, that they may look good. It could be a nice house in a great neighborhood, but you don't know it's actually crippled. There, there could be teenagers in this room that come to youth every single week, but they have handicapped hope because of something they experienced that they didn't even get to choose. They didn't get to choose to be born in poverty. They didn't get to choose their parents being divorced. They didn't get to choose certain things. There are times that we can look at people and think, you chose your way into that. And I get that. But there are other, there are other situations, Pastor Trey, that they didn't pick their way into that. that. That Sometimes when I see people on the side of the road who are asking for money or that are, that are uh, uh, in, in, a, in a situation in life that is not favorable, and they're asking for finances or food, and, and sometimes we can catch ourselves being like, I'm not giving them a dollar. Right? And I, and I get it. Sometimes you have questions of what you're going to do with this. But let me just stop there. I think we're just supposed to be generous, period. It doesn't matter oftentimes what people do with it. You're just going to have to do what God called us to do is be generous. Lend to the poor. Bible says give to the poor. You lend to the Lord. So, so, so we, oftentimes we won't give those guys a dollar. But you can catch yourself wanting to give 
$200 to a child who's broken from a foster care system or something. And, and I get it. I get it. But oftentimes what we don't see is that though he's a grown man, he's still a broken little boy. So you could have a beard and have a job and look good, but he has a chair that you don't know about. We won't give 20 cents to some of these people, but the reality of it is that they are handicapped. Some of them didn't get to pick their struggle. I wish to God when we sometimes act like some people get to pick it, they should just did this. And I understand it. Trust me that we have choices to make, but there are some scenarios that people didn't get to pick their struggle. Second Samuel chapter nine, as we go on to the story, the king says, the king says in chapter nine, verse four, uh, where is this nameless, this nameless man? Where is this crippled person? Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Somebody say Lodabar. Lodabar was a howling wilderness the most decrepit of local slums. It was a place whereby the rejection of society, the rejected of society came to live. It is where the outlaws would hide. It was a place that we would call the ghetto. It was a place where no vegetation grew. So there was no commerce and no infrastructure. There was no cattle. There was no sheep grazing. There was no market. It was a place of dry, barren desert, no pastures. This was not the promised land. This was not a good place to live. This was a place of despair. This verse implies that Mephibosheth had nothing. In fact, it tells us that he's living with another guy, that he had lost everything, that he was technically a prince and had nothing left in Lodabar. So not only is he crippled in both of his feet, but now way in the middle of nowhere, this little boy, who's now, they believe, 17 to 20 years old, is way where nobody can see, not in the spotlight, a way where nobody can identify him, remember him, and the Bible says he's in Lodabar. Did you know that Lodabar I borrowed this chair from Pastor Ron. He's like 100 years old. This, uh, <laughs> did you know that Lodabar is called the land of no communication? Lodabar, where you've struggled so long, you've gone silent. Lodabar, where people don't know what you struggle with and you can't talk about it. So your kids are frustrated with you and irritated with you because you didn't protect them like you should have, but you couldn't say anything because daddy was the one that made the money. So you couldn't say that daddy hit you. So you went silent. Nobody can hear you here. There are many people in this room, their life has gone silent. Nobody can hear the tears that you cry. 
Nobody can identify you feel with you because not, you don't know that other people struggle with the pornography. You don't know that other people struggle with that. You don't know, but you're in this chair and other people don't realize that. Way back here in Lodabar. Has anybody ever been to Lodabar? Anybody know anybody in Lodabar? Here he is, crippled. Here he is with no money, no land. He was a prince. Surely he heard the stories of the greatness that was in his family. Surely he heard the stories of the potential that he had, but some nameless nurse dropped him, and here he is handicapped with nothing, living in the ghetto, living in a place that he has no shot, living in a place where he has nothing, and he's not talking. Lodabar is where you go when you, you don't go to Lodabar on vacation. Lodabar is a place that you end up when you have nowhere else to go. This was him trying to make the best of a bad situation. It is a place where you, where you've gone silent. So you could be at church, but you're still silent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can, you can be in these rows right now and love God, but you're silent. Because nobody knows Mephibosheth like you know the injustice you've went through, the experiences that you have had. The scripture lets us know that in verse 5, the king said, go get that man. Push past everything. Clear off the agenda. Look to his assistant and say, clear my afternoon. Go, somebody go to Lodabar and get this handicapped man. Let me just pause there and say this. Aren't you thankful that the king comes to Lodabar for you? The king knew I can't let him stay there. The third thing I want you to remember today is that the king won't leave you there. The king won't let you stay in your place of depression and shame and darkness and silence. The king knows where you're at. The king hears your cry. The king knows the heartache that you're living through. And aren't you thankful that wherever you were in your life, the king said, I'll go right past a guard and find them in a jail cell. I'll find them in a crack house. I'll find them in their house. I'll find them in the courthouse because the king won't leave you there. I'm so glad he came and got me. Are you glad that he pushed past everything? Came and got you. Came and got. And I want to prophesy to some praying mama, the king is coming for your son and your daughter and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. As, oh, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Let it come to pass. Let it happen in your house. Let it happen in the days to come. In Jesus' name. The king won't leave you there. He loves us too much to let us live in a place called Lodabar and sin and shame and brokenness. The king has decided to clear the agenda and to find you right where you are. And when he arrives, in verse seven we find this. David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
And watch what he does. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, or really your grandfather. I will restore to you what you thought you lost. I will give to you what you thought you would have never had. That's a word for someone today. You thought you lost some years. God said, I'm going to restore the years the canker worm has eaten. It is not over yet. He said, I'm going to restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And if that's not enough, if that is, that's plenty. Thank you very much. I need to buy a mower. But he says, and you shall eat at my table always. Oh, I just want to sit here for a minute and preach to somebody and let you know, aren't you glad the king made a seat at the table? You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't know what to do with it. But the king pulled you out of Lodabar and translated you from a kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of light. And you're saved today, not because you know how to walk. Where you at, dude? Come on. Mom. Somebody say, Mom. Let me hear, let me, you can't get to the table because your mama was saved. <laughs> oh, we got time. What time? Oh, I got plenty of time. Oh, you're going to hate this. You don't get to get at the table because you know what translation of the Bible to use. You don't get to sit at the table because you're real spiritual and real impressive and everybody at your job thinks you're something. You don't get a seat at the table for that. You don't get a seat at the table because you didn't cuss today. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. Thank you, God. I ain't going to ask for a show of hands, but somebody felt guilty when I said it. You don't get a seat at the table because of your good works. You didn't earn it. It was simply because the king made the decision to find you, to love you, and he sent an invitation and made a seat for you. That's good news. I know you want to shout over the music and shout over this and that. If there's any reason to put your hands together, it's because the king made a seat for you. Your broke, messed up, crazy self, God made a seat for you. The Bible tells us that from the foundations of the earth, before you ever were born, before any of us were born, before any of us were here, that God from the foundations of, this messes with me, before he made the earth, he made a plan. In other words, before he made the earth, he sent out an invitation and said, I want to get them to the sea. It is his will that all men be saved. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, one of my favorite verses says this, God saved you. Saved you from what? I've heard people, what am I saved from? Eternal darkness, eternal separation from God, a place called hell. You're saved from your own sin. You're saved from darkness. You're saved from sin, heaven, dominion over you. You're saved by what? His grace. His invitation. When you believed or received the invitation, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. The king has saved a seat for you. 
And what's interesting when you sit at the table, Mephibosheth, when he comes to the table, when you sit at the table with his crippled legs, it's interesting to me that when he sits at the table, you can't see his legs. You, you can't see his shortcomings. You can't see his insecurities. When you get a seat at the table, I believe that you're covered in the blood. And, and the Bible says you get to sit as a son at the table. This was what the scripture says. He got to be a son. And so he sits at the table and looks like everybody else, knowing that underneath the table, I don't have it all together. Listen. Many of us find ourselves at this table, and it is by the grace of God that you're here. It's by the grace of God. You, get, you can't be impressed with your spirituality. Like, I don't think you get to that point, by the way. Like, oh, I'm just feeling so spiritual today. I'm killing it. <laughs> Reading your Bible like, Lord, look at me. I'm killing it. And we turn into Pharisees and Sadducees and religious. And you sit at the table and everything that discredited him is where you cannot see. Here's what I want you to catch. When he comes to the table, everything the enemy could use against you is under the blood, I mean under the table. Anything people try to identify you as, Mephibosheth, is under the, under the table. But here's what's crazy. When you look at this, this next verse, put the next one up. I'm too tired to move. Watch this. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he ate always at the king's table. Whoa, watch this. Now he was lame in both his feet. End of chapter. That's why the chapter ends. Isn't it confusing that this is in the Bible? Wasn't it confusing that that last sentence remains in the text? That he's lame in both feet? The Holy Spirit wanted to make sure that we knew that he was still lame, even though he was at the table. When I read this, I can't help but wonder, you know, this is in the Bible. There should have been a miracle here. Like, at what point do we lay hands on him, legs strengthen, and he, get, and he gets, to, gets to stand up and walk around? No, no, actually, the, the, the text lets us know that what he struggled with remained. Could it be that God doesn't always take the struggle out of our lives so he can get the glory in our lives? Go back to that last verse. Go back to that last verse. It's verse, uh, verse 13. Now he was lame in both his feet. 
but you got a seat. But you're saved. But you love God and you and you love the church and you love his presence, but 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 under the table when nobody can see, you still got a struggle. Come on, I'm in my last, I'm turning the mile, I'm turning the corner right here, and I just need you to hear me today. That 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 you have to remember what's under the table. I'll show it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Paul is writing about a thorn in his flesh. He said, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power, my power, my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, when I am weak, then I am made strong. Could it be the thing that makes your life painful is also what makes you powerful? Could it be the legs under the chair, under the table, or what make you, what, what God uses to bring something out of you? Let me tell you this. The secret to the glory of God in your life is under the table. The key to God doing great things through you is to remember what's under the table. We think the best place to be is at the head of the table. But God is saying, if you can remember what's under that table, if you can remember where I brought you from, if you can remember your imperfections and incapabilities, and you're aware of your flaw, if you can remember that you act so cute on Sundays, but you used to shoot needles in your arm, can you remember what's under the table? Don't you get too proud. And don't you forget where I brought you from, Mephibosheth. Oh, Lordy. Don't you dare forget what I have done in your life. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want grace. I want mercy. Bible says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season. Let me talk to you, pastor. Let me talk to you, preacher. Your key to your ministry is remembering under the table. Let me talk to you, husband and wife. Remember, the men, your marriage could be strong and could be anointed, and his power, the scripture says, his power rests on it. When you remember that you're nothing but flesh, and you're imperfect, and you're going to give her grace, and you're going to give him grace, because you remember your crippled, your crippled legs. Ain't nobody know the grace of the king like Mephibosheth. Last night I was driving home, or driving here, to do some late night studying. And I was on my way here. Maybe some of you've seen it, but uh, you know, I could catch myself. Like I, I got a nice little office back there. It's cute. It's got some bookshelves. I like my books. Pastor Ron got me this little tiny heater. It's like that big. It looks like, a, I think it's a toaster, honestly, but. <laughs> it is like this big and I gotta like blow on it to make it work. Like, But, but I can catch myself being like, yeah, look at this church. Yeah, we, we're a vibrant church. We're something, ain't we? Driving by on 45, there was a tent meeting last night. Anybody see that? And I, was, I grew up in that stuff. And I drove past it and I said, Ethan, you go back. I was in my like, pajamas, by the way. 
I went back to that camp meeting last night and I was putting this sermon together and it reminded me where I came from. I didn't go in, but I gave him an offering and I told him, I said, hey, tell that preacher to keep on preaching. You tell him to keep on going. Because it'd be very easy. It would be very easy for me to be like, oh man, but we've arrived. Look how nice our church is. Look how nice, listen to me, Vibrant. You wanna watch God take his hand off this church? Get arrogant. Start acting like we're the only church in town. Become elitist. Start thinking that we are the best church. Listen to me. We're not the best church. We are one of the great churches in this city. And God has blessed us and we have an opportunity. I just, we have to remember that we're just people that love God, love Jesus and love his word and love other people. We want the grace of God. We don't want to be proud. We don't want to be about ourselves. God pays, listen to me, God pays under the table. When you can remember where you come from and you can remember how good he's been. This week alone, this week, I forgot your name already. What is it again? Leanne. This week, what day was it? Tuesday. This week, Leanne had a crazy accident. Cars flipping like crazy. Walks out of that accident. By the grace of God by the grace of God. Could have been killed. We could have been planning your funeral. We could have been attending a service this week. He was driving right behind her and saw the whole thing. But now for the days ahead, you'll always remember what God did on that Tuesday morning. If it had not been for God, I wouldn't be here today. Somebody say, under the table. I want to share this last thought with you. I was walking in here the other day and I noticed something on one of the chairs. And I had them come and take a picture of it. They may have a picture of it. But, but there is a, in some of the seats here, there is a little handicap sticker. A little handicap sticker on just a handful of the seats. There's one right there. They're just on the edges. And as I was putting this message together, we put those chairs in this auditorium as a reminder that we have people who may need to use those chairs. That, that would be appropriate seating for them. But I believe it could be a reminder for some of us that we have a seat in our church for Mephibosheth. For the Mephibosheths in our community, we have a seat for you. You may still have track marks in your arms, but you have a seat at this church. You may still be living through hell in your life, but you got a seat in this church. You may be having a successful business, but you're struggling with your kids. You have a seat in this church. I want to be a pastor of people who need the table, who need the king, who need a seat at the table, and haven't forgotten where they come from, haven't forgotten their heritage, where you, your background, and forgotten what God has done for you. The Bible said it is the will of God that we be thankful, just to be thankful. Where would you be if not for grace? 
Where would you be without His help? Where would you be without His Spirit? Where would you be, Mephibosheth, if the King didn't pull you out of that? Aren't you thankful today the King didn't leave you there and the King found you and loved you and gave you a seat when maybe no one else would have gave you a seat? Don't you dare forget what's under the table. It may just be between you and God. It may just be between you and your spouse. But if it wasn't for the graciousness of the king, sometimes I wondered if God would have healed him if he ever would have depended on the king. Maybe God allows us to struggle in certain areas of our life to create a severe dependency on him. Like the old song that says, and I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Anybody know that song? You can't walk without him holding your hand. You can't preach without him holding your hand. You can't go to work without him holding your hand. Mephibosheth, you can't get anywhere without the graciousness of the King. Will you stand with us all over the room? With eyes closed all over the room. If you're in the room today and you feel that you're in Lodabar and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never accepted the invitation given by the King to come to the throne, to come to his presence, to get a seat at the table. Maybe for years you've been told you gotta dress a certain way, think a certain way, act a certain way. Let me tell you something, Mephibosheth didn't have it any certain way. He only got there because the king asked him to come. And I want you to know today, the king has cleared the schedule again, and he's asked you to come. If you're in the room today and you have never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have fallen off and you've gotten away from God, that today, Mephibosheth, this is your time. The king is coming for you. I wanna count to three and I want you to raise your hand nice and high and let heaven see you. Are you ready? Come on, the king is coming, church. I said, the king is coming. Are you ready? One, two, three. Come on, hand nice and high, nice and high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, church. Hands going up all over the room. Come on, heaven rejoices right now. This is when heaven starts getting involved. Oh, glory. Yeah, nobody saw you, man. Real subtle. That's all good. Just kidding, great job, great job. <laughs> I thought Kirk was gonna attack him or something. He's a... All over the room with your eyes closed, I want you to pray this prayer nice and loud. This is for the people that raised their hand, but this is for all of us today and online. Repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I need a life change. I don't wanna live in Lodabar. I want to be saved. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. And I believe you're coming back. And today, and today, and today, I accept the invitation to the table. And the rest of my life, I'm going to remember what's under the table. In Jesus' name, if you believe it today, put your hands together. Yeah.